0: In the previous episode, research shows that eating sea vegetables on a regular basis supports the endocrine system, especially the thyroid gland. I have to admit, the thought of eating a plate of slimy green stuff from the ocean just does not usually get people jumping for joy in anticipation. It's too bad, though. Sea vegetables are amongst the most powerful foods on the planet. And with a little creativity and experimentation, wonderfully delicious dishes can be prepared from them. Welcome to Reinvent Healthcare a podcast for health and wellness practitioners passionately committed to transforming our current broken disease-focused system. Your host, Dr. Rita Marie Calzo, is devoted to helping you get results with complex health challenges like autoimmune, hormonal imbalances, and chronic health challenges caused by nutritional and lifestyle-induced imbalances. Here's your host, Dr. Rita Marie. Welcome back to Reinvent Healthcare, a podcast for health and wellness practitioners who are passionate about making a difference. Today's episode is part two of the Functional Foods for Microbiome Balance series. If you're a health practitioner who really wants to help people to get well, not to just cover up symptoms, not to just apply protocols, whether nutritional or pharmaceutical, we are doing a live event that's just right for you. It's called Functional Nutrigenomics in Clinical Practice. And it's all about how you can learn the genetic testing you can do with people to help you to personalize their diet and lifestyle plans. And when you put that together with your typical really great functional history and lab testing, you're going to have all you need. So join us for an online virtual event that you can attend from anywhere. It's June 2nd to 4th, 2023. And you can get there by going to nesliveconference.com. That's nesliveconference.com. And we'll also put the link on the show notes page. On part one, we talked about how food affects the various parts of the digestive tract and how to heal and restore balance to some of those. In this episode, we'll be discussing the specific foods that affect particular organisms and how restricting certain food groups impacts microbiome diversity. Our guest, Steph Jackson is one of our certified nutritional endocrinology practitioners. She's an expert in gut health and fermented foods, and is often lovingly called the gut whisperer by members of our community. She's a sought-after coach in our Energy Recharge Inner Circle, and is the founder of a community called the Friendly Flora Collective. She is changing the way we think about holistic health care. She studied everything from spiritual nutrition to Chinese medicine formulations to advanced phytotherapy to the textbook of clinical and functional medicine. She studied herbalism, aromatherapist, color therapy, functional nutrition, and nutritional endocrinology. She got sick, and then she got better by harnessing the power of her body to heal with the power of the microbiome. She believes that it's through working with all of our bacteria that will achieve dynamic, long-lasting health, and that wellness can manifest if we get out of the war with ourselves and in our internal and external environment. According to Steph, unless you address the diversity of the microbiome, lasting and robust health will remain elusive. Steph, welcome back. I'm super, super excited to be here with you again.
1: Thanks, Dr. Rita Marie. I'm super honored to be on your podcast. I am really enjoying this time. Yeah, it's, um, it's a great topic. It's a topic
0: that is popular these days. It's a topic that is confusing to a lot of folks. And it's a topic around which there are so many misinformation things being put out there. So one of the things that I really want to talk to you about is the restriction that's happening that there's a lot of folks out there saying, well, we got to restrict oxalates and restrict lectins and restrict salicylates and restrict, restrict, restrict. And when I see people, they come in with this fear of food. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. They're backed into yeah. a corner. Yeah. They can only eat two or three things or you know, it feels like they can only eat two or three things and they're exacerbated. They don't know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So why...
0: Is it challenging to restrict foods? Obviously, there's reasons that it's challenging to do that. But what happens when people get to a point where they don't they don't really tolerate certain foods and food groups?
1: How do we handle that? Yeah, so it's, I mean, like anything deep like this, it is a complicated issue, right? And we are all individuals and in our individual circumstances. And so there can be so many different reasons why a person has decided to cut out certain food groups. I think... In, in like an overarching idea, um, it is a big focus on which foods are harming us rather than what we can do within ourselves, within our gut microbiome, within our biochemistry to be able to metabolize foods better and to, to be able to tolerate the world around us, which is really what we're doing with foods. We're taking the world around us, we're chewing it and we're swallowing it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, and I think in the past we've had this thing where it was our immune system is kind of our minions and they're standing on guard and they're ready to, you know, fight the invaders and the immune system versus the bacteria and uh, also sort of conquering and extracting things from nature. I'm going to eat this carrot and I'm going to absorb like everything from the carrot and I am the conqueror of carrots instead of... I'm going to eat this carrot. The chemicals in this food are going to send signals throughout my body and signals throughout microbiome. Those bacteria are going to eat most of the carotenoids. I might absorb some of them and the rest of them are going to work with this whole colony of, of my gut. And through that, we're going to have metabolic change. It's not just through like, I chew carrot, I absorb carbohydrates and nutrients. Like It's it's not like that. We're part of the world.
0: I love that concept. <laughs> I love that concept because it, what it really says is it's an ecosystem, yeah. it's an ecosystem, whichever way yeah. you wanna say it. And we all work together to take that food from out there and get it into our cells, you know, the nutrients into our cells where they belong. And it's a complicated process how that works. We're doing it. We're chewing it. We're putting out enzymes to break it down. But then the bacteria, the good bacteria colonies that live in our gut are saying, hey, I'm going to help you with this. I'm going to pull some of this out. I'm going to support you
1: in getting the most out of this food. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. And maybe they're not doing it to support us. <laughs> maybe they're just living they're their right, own they're selfish. lives. <laughs> right, they're just they're they just want to have the carotenoids, but you know, we've we've evolved to work together
0: for the greater yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. And we can believe that they're doing it for our greater good,
1: right? right. We can just believe it, right? Yeah. We don't have to go around thinking about the selfish bacteria. Yeah. No. yeah I love it. Yeah. Whatever works, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so sometimes we get into a situation where where we end up restricting our foods and that has cascading effects on our gut microbiome mm-hmm. because um, yeah. they need those those colorful plant chemicals to be able to make those postbiotics, which great. Now we can buy postbiotics in a capsule. Like ever think of making <laughs> them yourself? Um, yeah. So we can- Oh, explain what
0: postbiotics are, because <laughs> not everybody knows what a po- We've heard of-
1: Yeah, prebiotics. Uh, probiotics, and pre-biotic, right? And we've now,
0: yeah. prebiotics have been around, FOS and inulin and things like that for a long yeah. time.
1: But these postbiotics is a relatively new concept. Yeah. So postbiotics are basically, fancy word for stuff bacteria makes- Okay. And so like for instance, uh, this morning I was looking at a product that was a postbiotic from lactobacillus ruteri. So lactobacillus ruteri produces some compounds that discourage H. pylori.
0: Fantastic.
1: Nice. Um, Along with, actually, um, along with, gosh, um, bacillus subtilis, Lactobacillus bulgaricus, Lactobacillus casei, Lactobacillus paracasei, plant, uh, plantarum, rhamnosus, and salivarius. So all of these bugs discourage H. pylori. And so what they've done is they've um, grown Lactobacillus ruteri, and they've extracted their, hmm. their metabolites, these postbiotics, these things that they make, and put it in a capsule that we can now take. Hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, that's good in... If, if it's, if we can't think of any other options, that's good. Or if we can't tolerate any other bacteria, or if there's something going on, then it's good to have those tools. But what would be ultimately the best would be to, um, steward an ecosystem within ourselves where we naturally discourage those opportunistic bacteria.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And encourage those good guys. To grow where they're supposed to grow, because last time we talked about (laughs) sometimes they grow where they're not supposed to be in the case of SIBO. And so when we're working with clients, we want to be able to encourage them to have as much of a variety in their diet as possible, to encourage as much biodiversity. But on the one hand, what do we do if they don't tolerate oxalates or lectins or histamines or you
1: name it? Yeah, well, let's talk about some of those kind of big objections first, right? Because- your health practitioners that are listening to this recording, and this is probably what you hear. Um, Maybe someone is avoiding oxalates, and so there are certain foods that they cannot eat. And the good news is that bacteria can break down oxalates. So if you can get your clients to ferment something With those bacteria, especially if they can do a really controlled ferment that's not exposed to a lot of other bacteria, right? If they're not using a a yogurt starter or a wild starter, um, and if they're able to to use just bifidobacteria, for example, you can actually have an oxalate reducing ferment, which is super good news. Not only Mm. does it make our nutrients more absorbable <laughs> back to that thing, which I said, I don't want to do, but yeah. So it makes it so that we can absorb our calcium and iron better from those foods. And also if somebody is sensitive to oxalate, it, it can help them to tolerate a wider variety of foods.
0: And it's a ferment like yeah. um, a yogurt? Because a lot of people, you know, they, I can't eat sauerkraut because it's, you know, it's got histamines in it and things like
1: that. So are there safer ferments that they can use and make? Right. So if you get the general advice for histamines, kind of jump on topics, so I'll circle back to oxalates in a sec. If you get the general advice for histamines, the advice is do not eat anything fermented. Well, that is because most bacteria produce histamines. In particular, yeasts, not a bacteria. Yeasts produce the most histamines, followed by H. pylori. So Mm. whenever anybody's having some issues with histamines or mast cell disorder or something like that, I mean, check for H. pylori. Mm. Check for yeasts in the body. See what's going on. Where is it coming from? What's happening, right? Um, And bifidobacteria again.
0: I think you have a love affair with bifidobacter. Just saying.
1: Bifido produce the DAO that breaks down the histamines, which we also produce in our own bodies. So you can use that in a ferment to actually reduce the histamines in the ferment as well. So not only can we reduce the oxalates in a ferment with the bifidobacteria, but we can also reduce the Mm. histamines, which is really, really good news, particularly bifidum infantis, which is pretty readily available. You can get clients to go get that and to start some kind of a ferment for themselves. You can ferment anything with it, right? So it might not be delicious, but you can choose whatever the food is that they want to add back into their diet or what you see is leveraged for them. So, if they want to, if you feel like they should add a certain type of kale or um, spinach or something like this, right, then you want to at least reduce the oxalates in that down to the point where it's it's less, right, uh, then that is an option for you. I've, I've done yogurts where I basically just blend up spinach with coconut, oh. and then it's green, it's pretty, it's pretty neutral tasting um, and you just make it into a regular yogurt.
0: That sounds kind of interesting. So I was just going to ask you, how would one go about making spinach yogurt? <laughs> we don't see that at the grocery store and you know, health food stores or anywhere. Yeah.
1: And indeed, that's why you get that advice when you are going on a low histamine diet that you need to avoid all fermented foods. You can't buy yogurt on the shelf that's going to be low histamine. You can make one. And this is one of the ways that mm. you can make it. So you can choose whatever low histamine vegetables you want to choose. I'm using um, the, the coconut as an example because it's just an easy thing to add something to. So let's say you want to get spinach back in a person's diet. They're able to tolerate coconut. You basically put it in the blender <laughs> until, and blend it until you get it to the consistency that you want. You know, it'll, it'll be a little bit thinner because it'll be room temperature. But when you put it in the fridge, the coconut will solidify a bit and those fats will hold it um, together. Mm. Um, You you know, you put in the blender and then you add your bacteria. In this case, we're using bifidum, maybe bifidum infantis. You keep it at body temperature for eight to 12 hours, covered, not uncovered, covered. Mm. And then it will ferment. You can taste when it gets more Sour. sour and then it's done. Yeah, and it's also eating up, you know, the available sugars from the coconut, which is kind of a nice bonus for some of us.
0: Wow. So a couple of things here, Steph. You just said how, you just showed us how to make basically spinach yogurt, which helps somebody to be able to take a high-oxalate food like spinach and be able to eat it as long as they tolerate coconut. But you can mix it with other things as well, is what I heard you say. And then they mix it all together and they blend it for 8 to 10 hours. What I wanted to clarify is that they shouldn't put the bacteria in until after the spinach and the coconut are blended. Does that make a difference?
1: Yeah, I like to put it in right at the end. Like, technically, if you put it in at the beginning, some of the bacteria will be destroyed by the spinning blender yeah. blades of death. But really, <laughs> it's going to be OK. OK. You, it's very hard to screw this up. You can put it in at the beginning. You can put it in at the end. You're Good. Good. Okay, yeah. that's really
0: super cool. So, spinach, spinach yeah. yogurt, kale yogurt. So, that would apply to any other veggie that they wanted to do it with, correct? Yeah,
1: I will tell you the ones that taste the worst are kale oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and broccoli sprouts. Broccoli sprouts is not so great. The, even the coconut doesn't really like fix, it. fix um, it. And yeah, the good news about the broccoli sprouts is that the bacteria make. The sulforaphane, um, but the bad news is it has a half hour um, half life. So oh. by the time your client eats you eat it, it. That, that's all to be moved, so it's gonna yeah. be gone. <laughs> uh,
0: <yeah. laughs> okay, well that's good to know, right? That's really good to know because people think I've heard of you know you you've taught about sweet potato yogurt, and that mm-hmm. sounds good because sweet potatoes like they're sweet and all this, but I think the yogurt doesn't taste quite as sweet. So, but basically any food can be blended up and fermented, or there's some that it doesn't work for?
1: Yeah. So the, I mean, sweet potato is relatively controlled because most of the time people will either steam the sweet potato first or bake it or do something before they then blend it with either water or tea or coconut. Like you can just get stinging nettle tea and blend it with, I'm just making this up, right? Sweet potato, purple sweet potatoes and ferment that you got a yogurt. Um, but yeah, it just depends on what your client wants to do. And That is a very safe ferment. I use tea on purpose because you've boiled it. And I use the sweet potato because my guess is your clients are probably going to steam it or cook it somehow first. And then you know, you've, you know, this is for people who are backed into that corner. They've then sort of killed all of the surface yeasts and bacteria that are on that food. So then, then they're going to, you know, cool it to body temperature, add what they want. So, you know, exactly what they're culturing. You know, they're just getting that Bifidum infantis, which is also the least likely to exacerbate SIBO. And it's just, it's, it's the safest. I like to start with that bacteria. Um, Yeah. So give them a controlled ferment like that. If you start putting, you know, raspberries or just, uh, you know, random fruits that are not cooked you're going to get yeasts in there okay? because they live on the surface there of the yeast, of the fruits.
0: So this is how you control the ferment to just have the bacteria you really want to be in there. So there's not bad yeah. risk. Okay. So the other thing, you know, oxalates, um, going back to oxalates, almonds are high in oxalates. So would almond yogurt cut down on the oxalates? Yeah,
1: then? 100%. So we can't say how much. Because it's every ferment is different, right? How long did you ferment it for? Which bacteria kind of grew to take over the ferment? And we're not going to send every yogurt we make to the lab. So if someone is just super-duper sensitive, I would work on building up these bacteria, the Bifido, the Lactobacillus plantarum, in their bodies first before introducing something like that yogurt. Um, but with the, with the almond yogurt, for instance, what I find helpful is to take the skins off. Hmm even though that is where a lot of the nutrients are, but that's also where a lot of the oxalates are as well. Um, so right. to take the skins off and then to ferment it for the longest possible ferment. And you know, you're breaking down the most oxalates that you can Awesome within that ferment.
0: Awesome. This is really cool yeah. stuff to know. Anything else about these fermentation and how did it affect lectins? Lectins are a biggie, right? Everybody's like, lectins are bad. Mm-hmm. lectins are evil, but they're really in everything pretty much. But um, yeah. So you can't cut out all those foods. So and does everybody yeah. have a sensitivity to lectins? Right? You hear that as if everyone has problem with lectins. So let's right. talk as about if that. They're bad. Yeah. yeah exactly. So tell it's people. That... You know, remind everybody what lectins yeah. are, and yeah, why we don't necessarily have to avoid them.
1: Right. Um, that's a good point. So lectins. Lectins are particularly recently, over the past five years or so, they're being super vilified. I don't know if they do anything particularly helpful for us, like phytates do, but lectins are like these kind of sticky particles. I think they're kind of akin to Velcro, gut Velcro. They, <laughs> they go through our bodies and they stick to our mucosa and they can stick there for about three days. Okay, so then let's say we eat some tomatoes today and then we get those lectins sticking around and then we eat some tomatoes tomorrow and then we get those lectins sticking around. And then we get, eat the, so if we're eating the same foods every day, We're just not, you know, designed to necessarily do that throughout all seasons of the year to have all the same foods every day, Um, which, you know, it makes sense logically, but also um, our gut mucosa, depending on the robustness of our gut mucosa, we're going to be able to tolerate a different amount of that, right? So, and if you think about tomatoes, I mean, gosh, they're on everything. It might be the only vegetable besides potatoes that a lot of people are consuming, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Right. <laughs> Speaking of anti-nutrients, right? So um, th- these these foods can irritate the gut wall, especially if the mucosa is not robust and thick enough.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, but the good thing, fermentation again, right? Of course. Um, fermentation can break down the lectins. Like cooking can, but fermentation actually can do it a little bit better. I've seen some studies where they were broken down 90 to 95% in a ferment. Awesome. In a 12-hour ferment.
0: Awesome. So we should have fermented tomatoes. I've never seen that one. Yeah.
1: So, okay, can I give you a quick, so one sauce that I like to make, I basically make up my my raw tomato sauce, right? I blend some tomatoes with some fresh herbs from the garden. I salt it a little bit. And then I ferment that like a yogurt. Ah. Yeah. For like, I want to say eight to 12 hours again, right? With the oven light and with the oven turned off with the light on in a Mason jar. And then I pull it out at dinner time, and it's because it is something that I do have warm. Um, so you can think of it in the morning and then make it over the course of the day, pull it out. It's, it's got this cheesy,
0: mm-hmm. awesome
1: flavor. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I'm
0: going to have to try that one.
1: Yeah. It's, it's actually really great. So it's, you may be able to find a raw pasta sauce recipe online, or if you are with me, you can use mine or you can use Dr. Rita Marie's and yeah, you just prevent it. It's so good. I love it. And you know,
0: <laughs> it, it also, they're eating, the bacteria are eating the sugars, right? So yeah. I find that I can't overdo too much blended tomato because it'll raise my blood sugar, but I can, I'm can i going to try the fermented. That sounds awesome.
1: Boom, that yes. That sounds awesome.
0: <laughs> <Yay>. um, so, <laughs>
1: yeah, this one so that, much. I like it a little bit better if I add some kind of fat in there, but it's not necessary, mm-hmm. right? If, you're, if you can't tolerate them, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That's awesome. So, what about resistant starches? You, I heard you talk about that in the last episode. I hear about this all the time. What, um, what about the re- resistant
1: starches? How do they benefit, and where do we get them? Wow. Okay. So, resistant starches um, can help us with so many things in our bodies, and ultimately, we are wanting to help our gut microbes produce more butyrate, right? And that's the end goal of those resistant starches. Um, that helps us with our glucose metabolism, with our sleep, with our hormone regulation, with our gut lining integrity, right? We were just talking mm. about that with the lectins, right? We want to tolerate right. the world around us. We want a robust gut lining. Um, not only does the butyrate help us with the mucosa, but it helps us with our actual, our actual gut lining itself, aka leaky gut, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, that, those are really important bacterial byproducts and resistant starches help us to produce those or help our gut bugs to produce those, um, among other things. And yeah, so resistant starch on its own, just the consumption of that has been shown to help people lose weight so many different ways. But yeah, so we have different types of resistant starch. We've got resistant starch one, resistant starch two, resistant starch three. So, resistant starch one is in whole grains, beans, lentils, and peas. I'm finding, you know, most people are not eating those by the time by the time they go online and search for the gut whisperer, they're not like they're not eating any normal food. So, <laughs> um, we don't really work with resistant starch type one. But you'll find most of the studies that are referenced about resistant starch are focusing on resistant starch one, um, and the only real place where I end up using that is with cooked lentils. Occasionally a person can consume, you know, sprouted cooked lentils and that's something that they still want to eat. Um, And then there's resistant starch too, which is when you eat like a green banana and you get that gross feeling on your teeth, it's (laughs) like like the chalky thing. Or if you imagine eating a raw potato, which I've done on the farm, you're not supposed to do that. Um, You get that same feeling. That's the taste of resistant starch. You cannot cook that. You cook that it's gone. If you are if you're doing that to a potato or to rice, particularly white rice or that purple forbidden rice, and you put it back in the fridge after, those foods will then make something called resistant starch 3. It's like a recrystallized starch, but only those foods. So, you know, bananas, plantains, sweet potato, those resistant starches are destroyed by cooking. It's really important to know.
0: Okay, that's starch that's type 2. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the
0: type ones go back to that again because yeah. type ones are in lentils and grains and stuff that we typically would eat cooked. uh, just cooking destroy that starch or no?
1: Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Oh. But it doesn't destroy all of it. Mm. You know, so if you have lentils that have been sprouted and then they're kind of cooked to the point where you would eat them, but they're still, you know, not not super soft you're still going to get some resistant starch in there if that makes sense.
0: Okay. Yeah. So a lot of people who are like, "Oh, I'm going to eat lentils and beans because they're resistant starch." They're not getting the resistant starch because they're cooking them and I'm cooking them for a long time. Yeah. in the case of beans, which we want to because Beans tend to be the worst sources of lectins. And in fact, kidney beans tend to be so high in lectins that you don't ever want to eat those raw because it could be very dangerous.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, and also like how many of us are getting all our beans dried and then cooking them and then like we're getting this stuff in a can. So by the time it's in the can, I'm not sure about the resistant starch content, like straight up. Okay, got it.
0: Okay, got it. <laughs> but the resistant starch, too, then are things that we typically don't eat raw, but could, like sweet potatoes, yeah. um, green bananas, yeah. <laughs> which don't taste very good. What about plantains? Same thing. got be raw. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. Okay, so you do that. You could eat those raw. And then, um, then we have type three, which is what people are hearing about all the time. Cook your potatoes and rice and stick it in the fridge, and then take it out 24 hours later, and you have resistant starch. Yes. Um, okay.
1: So just a plug for vegetables, cause you know how much I love vegetables. Um, if you have a <laughs> potato, I mean, potatoes are great. That's great. And for like someone who I don't want to talk to about this stuff, like my dad, I'll just make him a potato salad and know that I've done something. Um, okay. But <laughs> you must know that like a medium sized potato, you do this whole procedure. It takes, you know, 48 hours and you're just, you know, sciencing it up. You're going to maybe get five grams of resistant starch. Hmm. Okay, and the amount that has been shown to actually make a difference in the gut is much more than that. Um, Some studies that have shown um, real changes in the gut flora and in the metabolism, they're studying 28 grams of resistant starch per day. You know, they're they're feeding people potato starch, this kind of thing. Uh, Getting that from this cooked and cooled Potato, white rice thing, like you're gonna, that's gonna be your whole food for the whole day. You're not gonna have any. We need to also get it from a diversity of vegetables. Even though the amount of resistant starch will be negligible, there will also be the whole spectrum of fibers, which are also important for those bacteria.
0: Okay. So I want to just stop you here because I'm getting a little confused and I want to make sure that I know how to get resistant starch and recommend to my patients. So lentils and the beans and all, not really a good source unless you're doing the sprouting the lentils and then cooking them and then you get a little. Type two, that's type one. Type two is when they, it's like a sweet potato and you're gonna eat it raw. So are we gonna go back to maybe the the magic of fermentation when it comes to eating sweet potatoes raw? Cause I don't know a lot of people who eat sweet potatoes That's raw. That's a good idea. But I, what I, one of the things I've done is I soak them real well in like some salt because it pulls mm-hmm. out some of the starch, but maybe then I don't have my resistant starch. So let me, let me back that up. So I'll, I'll do that and then I'll co- I'll coat them with some seasonings and dehydrate them. Am I getting any resistant starch when I do that with a sweet potato? Yeah, you
1: would be still getting resistant starch. Okay. So, you know, if you can make them into little chips or if you can yeah. blend them and make them into a yogurt, like what we talked about doing with with the spinach and the mm. coconut, um, if you can find a way to do it raw, I like to make wraps and crackers. I find that, you know, if I mix these things with some herbs and spices and, and some flax or something like that, and spread it on my dehydrator tray. I can make a nice wrap that that works for me.
0: Mm-hmm. So crackers and stuff. So you can take sweet potato, blend it up in the blender, and then mix it with some other stuff and make a cracker. And that's going to give you resistant starch. Mm-hmm. Okay. So and then the third one is the the sweet and the cooked and cooled. And there's only five out of thirty, so it's only a small percentage. But how are we going to counsel our people to get
1: enough resistant starch. What is your recommendation there? Well, ultimately helping our clients to tolerate more fruits and vegetables, whatever the issue is that's preventing them from from eating these foods. Um, That's gotta be the ultimate goal so that they can get them from foods. In the short term, Green banana flour, as long as it hasn't been heated, so if you can find a good source, green banana flour can be added to smoothies, it can be added to wraps, like we were just talking about. Um, You know, it can Mm. be even added to salad dressings. Okay, that sounds good.
0: So when you say the fruits and veggies and adding more of them, so you're saying that there's a small amount of resistant starch and is it type one, two or three that are in there probably type two based on what you said? And then how do we know if we're
1: getting the 28 grams? Right. Well, I guess there's no way short of, you know, sending all our food to to the lab. lab, It's different. Like, it depends when it's picked, where it's grown, which season it was picked in. All of these things are going to affect not just the resistant starch content, but the anthocyanins and all the other other things that our bacteria need. Um, So we can't really say a sweet potato has X, Y, Z. But we can know when we feel better. And we can know that we're, you know, getting the most that we can reasonably get in.
0: Wow. Okay. So before we move to another topic, I have two more topics I want to ask you about. But before we move there, I want to really sum this up. I want to see. Mm -hmm. So we need to be able to eat a wide variety of plant foods, a colorful plant foods that have all this stuff that feed our bifidobacter that or or provide them or um, provide, you know bifidobacter to get the butyrate. So we have all this stuff we want to accomplish. We have resistant starches. We want to improve mm-hmm. a person's ability to tolerate these foods using the fermentation processes we just talked about. Is that, in a nutshell, what we're trying to do? We're trying to... I mean, the ultimate goal is to get people to eat more fruit, fresh, colorful fruits and veggies, Yeah,
1: right? Yeah, and if if they want to, but the fruits and veggies are bothering them. Right then this is one tool that we can add to help them to ultimately get to the place where they can prepare them in a variety of different ways. We need the diversity of our microbiome to tolerate these foods. And yet it's the very constituents from these foods that help us to have diversity in our microbiome.
0: Mm, Okay, so that's what we're aiming for is the diversity in the microbiome. We get that by the
1: diversity in the food with lots and lots and lots of colorful plant foods. Yeah, and- In those colors, that's where the magic is. Like, I think our focus on resistant starch is too much. I'm reading the studies on the resistant starch, and it's showing that we have more butyrate-producing bacteria, but it's not showing that we have more butyrate. Hmm. Yes. Why is that? Well, the studies on the colorful constituents of fruits and veggies, when added on their own have shown to increase the butyrate mm. specifically. So I believe that we need both, which, oh my gosh, real whole plants have.
0: <laughs> We're coming back um, down to it. The importance of this, yeah. right? And the importance <laughs> of maybe a keto diet with 80% animal fat is probably not the best way to get it because there's not enough room for the colorful yeah, plants. Yeah, like,
1: can I, just, can I just tell you some things that quercetin does in the gut? You've probably heard about quercetin. It's allergy season. It's on my mind. Yeah. Okay, so it can improve bacterial balance. It can reduce the bacteria that are associated with obesity. There are specific bacteria that that have been associated with obesity since the '80s, right? And so, hmm. yeah, we're talking about Eubacterium and some of the Bacillus bacteria. Um, they can quercetin actually helps to attenuate the Firmicutes Bacteroidetes ratio, right? Remember how we've we've probably most of us have heard that if you have too many fermicutes it you know it helps you to gain too much weight um, well quercetin when we get it from real plant foods can help us to to work with that ratio um, quercetin can help to decrease the ph in the large intestine which is good we want the large intestine to be a largely acidic environment and quercetin can help improve butyrate production which is kind of what we were talking about mm. here and so it does all of those things. And then it might be that there's, you know, a client that can't tolerate onions or can't do so many things because of those foods bothering them. You can see that if you can kind of bridge it for yeah, them. Like yeah, like sulfur. And-
0: yeah. yeah. Okay. So besides onions, what's a really, what are like half a dozen or three or five very good sources
1: of quercetin? Parsley. Parsley, parsley, parsley. Ooh. Yes. Nice. Yeah. Um, let's see sage from the garden. Mm. Uh, nice you know the onion skins (laughs) one thing that we do someone else came up with this um in my program when she takes the skins off her onions which is where a lot of the quercetin is uh she puts those in a ferment this would be something that you'd have to kind of grind customize for the Mm -hmm. person maybe they can't tolerate you know You'd, you'd have to do a bit more research yourself um she puts those in a ferment like a wild ferment as if she was making pickles. Um, and then she just has this whole quercetin ferment, which she blends blends down and adds to things um, as a flavor enhancer. Interesting. Yeah. Um,
0: Interesting. Yeah, she can get creative. Probably
1: tastes really good. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, it does. Yeah, I like that. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, onions, parsley, sage. I thought you were going to say rosemary and thyme.
1: <laughs> I was going to say elderberry. Elderberry. I was going to say elderberry. Because even though it's a berry, uh, with the elderberry, you're getting other things as well. You're getting the anthocyanins, uh, which we didn't even have a chance to talk about yet, but are super important for the gut. And you're getting the quercetin, which is pretty sweet.
0: Okay, so we've yeah. got the idea that we don't have to focus, focus, focus on where are we gonna get this resistant starch. We have to focus, focus, focus on increasing the diversity of the diet to include more of these colorful vegetables, greens, yellows, oranges, blues, purples, and all that to be able to build the diversity in the gut so that we can create more beauty. Exactly. Exactly. But what about like I'll play devil's advocate? What if I just go buy a butyrate supplement? Well, sometimes
1: that's a great idea. Yeah, right. Yeah, like let's say you're having a lot of trouble sleeping. Um, you've been you've been working hard. You've done the basics, right? You've worked it out. You're you're working with the pillars. You're eating healthy food. You're getting exercise. You're doing everything that that should be involved in reducing. Let's say. Um, some glucose metabolism issues that are really bothering you, and you're having trouble sleeping, and you have some weight gain that you just haven't been able to reverse. You've covered the basics, you're lying in bed at night awake. Yeah, <laughs> the butyrate supplement might help right. you. Like, this is when the band is for. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: it's not a long term, yeah. right? That's not what you want to think about long term. You want to increase the diversity. And it, you and I both worked with people who have mm. struggles with. Uh, digesting a lot of these foods, and they have limited severely their gut,
1: you know, mm-hmm. their, their food. And we do recommend a butyrate supplement. Totally. And when you yeah. see how that can help them um, decrease leaky gut and their sensitivity to all these other foods, you can see how that's such a leveraged thing to add in the beginning there to help them get through this, this very difficult phase for them.
0: Yeah,
1: um, it is difficult. But yeah, it in is. terms of like their time with you, that's, that's a great thing to do when it's needed, but in the end, do you really want to be teaching people that they need a supplement from the outside world to be okay, or do you want to help them to work with the community in their own body right. to, to be self-sufficient? Okay. So last
0: thing on this topic, and then I went up. You said you wanted to talk about the anth- anthos. I can always say that word, but <laughs> those things. <laughs> um, but uh, butyrate. Okay. So what other things um, contain or stimulate? You've mentioned um, there's certain herbs. Um, I think it was cranberry, not cranberry, um, pomegranate extract. Am I getting that confused with something else? So some of them that actually increase the body's, body. oh, it was green tea right? Green tea extract.
1: Mm, yes. Okay. So yeah, green tea extract can be one way that that your clients can get some of these phytochemicals to help them to produce more butyrate. And you can take it from the capsule. So the green tea, you'll probably get clients that want to drink green tea. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, <laughs> the amount that has been shown to help produce yeah. more butyrate is 10 cups of green tea per day. So, oh lord.
0: lord. So this is another <laughs> That's a lot of caffeine no. even though there's not yeah. a lot of caffeine. Exactly.
1: Either. So, taking one thing that's like, "Oh, I can have one cup of this." Um, so it depends where they're at, yeah. right? Yeah. Like if if they're in a really stable place, we can all have one one cup of something and know that we don't need the maximum amount. <laughs> really? We don't need the amount that's been shown in a study to, you know, it's a little bit is still helpful, but if they're in a situation where you're trying to sort of hack the system, um, yeah.
0: And supplements have their place, just like drugs have their place. It's not supplements yeah. instead of specific foods. Yeah. It's to supplement the foods and to supplement while you're building up the tolerance to the more variety of food. Is that right? That's how I think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. Yeah. So let's jump into the, en- style. yeah, those guys, pro <laughs>
1: those guys that I never can say. So go for it. Maybe you can say it better um, than Um Yeah, sure. Okay. So- they are in those blue foods, right? The anthocyanins. Not to be confused with the anthocyanidins, which are those things that are in cranberries. So the anthocyanins are in those those blue and red foods. And you know, people might be saying, hey, I can't eat blueberries or strawberries or raspberries, which are quoted as if they Google it, they're gonna that's what they're gonna find. Um, you can help them to consume red radishes, kohlrabi, kale, -hmm. Cabbage, red cabbage. Maybe there's a way that you can make a red cabbage ferment with them, or maybe they can tolerate the red radishes. Maybe they're working on some hormone things, and that seems like that would be an awesome food for them. I don't know. Yeah, if they can just tolerate one, they don't need to have all of it. Nice. And spinach. If they can handle the oxalates, spinach is really good for the anthocyanins, and it's also really good for the carotenoids, which the gut also needs. And a lot of people can't eat those orange things like mangoes and sweet potatoes because of the glucose impact, right? So if they're able to tolerate uh, lacinato kale and spinach, those are some good choices mm-hmm. for that, for both.
0: Yeah. Awesome. And what's the claim to fame for the anthocyanins? Right.
1: Well, basically it helps the gut produce more butyrate. Butyrate. Great. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. We're almost out of time and this is so fascinating. There's so much great information here. Just say a little
1: bit about phytoestrogens. Yes. Okay. So some people want the phytoestrogens. Some people don't want the phytoestrogens, right? So there's something called diadzen, which is an isoflavin from soy, which is converted by our gut bacteria to equol, which is the actual thing that is the phytoestrogen, if that makes sense. Yeah. Only about a third of us have the bacteria that will do this so you might have clients that want the phytoestrogens and they're eating all this stuff and nothing is happening or you might have clients that don't want the phytoestrogens and they're avoiding things that wouldn't be bothering them in the first do you know what i mean so
0: yeah yes okay so that's good to know yeah (laughs) what about does our gut you know the gut bacteria needs to be intact right in
1: order for the the conversions right in the flax, the brassicas, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. And all of these things that we've talked about today, that we mentioned in passing, the sulforaphane, this dietzen compound, um, the the lignans that, that are also the the phytoestrogens, like they are all converted in the gut. We need a healthy gut microbiome to convert these things properly. It's not that there are these compounds in the food, and we eat the food, and we absorb it, and that's what happens. No, it's actually something that happens with our whole colony of gut microbes. So what does taking an antibiotic do to this? (laughs) Um, Okay, so there's a bit of a misunderstanding that we all kind of have just from allopathy, right? Just from the way that we've been raised and the news that we've been watching or whatever, where we think that we just take an antibiotic and we kill all the bacteria equally and then we can take a probiotic later and kind of start from scratch. Um, What's unfortunate is that all our bacteria are different and they all have different coping mechanisms for an attack like that. Mm. And what will happen is some of them will be very much destroyed by this. And some of them, particularly those gram-negative bacteria that have like a double cell wall um, or other, other sorts of defenses, some of them are able to like the strep bacteria really quickly become immune to something. And then they're able to actually pass that, not just to the other strep in the gut, but to other bacteria in the gut in general, um, mm. to pass those, that toolbox of immunity around. Um, and so you'll end up with not, not just less bacteria in general, but you'll end up with kind of like a wackadoodle balance of bacteria mm-hmm. And super bugs. Exactly. So if you have been making yogurt or if if you've ever worked with me making yogurt, I'm always saying that the bacteria can double every half hour. So you got to taste your yogurt. And when it tastes like it's done, put it in the fridge right away. Well, same thing happens in your gut, right? So it's an exponential thing. So if you end up with too much of something, which they're usually not the bacteria that we want, <laughs> just say that much, and then weigh not enough of something, then, then those, that, that difference exponentially is kind of doubled every half hour in an ideal gut, then you end up with quite an imbalance in short order.
0: Wow, there's so much here. <laughs> there's so much complexity To this microbiome and the diversity and the foods and how to support it. And I know you've learned a lot here from Steph today. So it may even change the way you look at gut tests and gut health if you look at it from this perspective. And that's a good thing. So if you were to give our listeners, our health practitioner listeners, and even some of our, our consumer, you know, client, patient listeners who are sneaking in and really taking this in, what are a couple of action steps that we can take based
1: on what you talked about today?
0: What do you, how would you summarize mm. that? Okay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. So what's coming to me is if there are some things that you cannot tolerate or that your client cannot tolerate- Figure out what underlying imbalance is causing this issue and see if you can help to resolve that underlying imbalance. There will always be someone in our gut to consume the foods that we are not digesting well. If we cannot break something down, some kind of species (laughs) or critter will grow to break it down for us. And they are actually there to help with a problem that exists. So we need to solve that problem and then go on to lead a full life where we can eat a variety of fruits and veg.
0: Variety of, and when we say a variety of colorful foods, we're not talking M&M's. We're talking, oh, <laughs> right? We're talking, because nobody should be eating that stuff because it's feeding the people we don't want to feed down there in our gutters. So yeah, so I think that that's, that's great advice. And eating a variety of fruits and veggies is what I take away. And then for those you can't tolerate right now is learning how to create ferments from them. And you can ferment anything. We learned today about <laughs> eating spinach coconut yogurt. Um, we learned a lot here today about that. So I think that's great. Now, if people want to reach you, I know that you know you mentioned your group, but I know you have this amazing community called the, um, the Friendly Flora Collective. Um, and I think, I know it's for people to learn how to do this for themselves, which of course, all of our practitioners need to do it for themselves. But if will that be a good place for the practitioners that are listening to be able to learn how to support their clients in making these amazing ferments.
1: Mm, yeah, we do have quite a few practitioners on the calls, which is amazing because people bring a lot of very interesting ideas and we have a chance to talk it out, which I, which I deeply appreciate. I'm so grateful for that community that we have built. Um, so we're on friendlyfloracollective.com. And it's just, it's a monthly membership. We have recipes, we have a group call where we can kind of get into these topics and discuss. Yeah, thank you,
0: and thank you. And check out, these these are all in the show notes, so FriendlyFloraCollective.com. And then there's also the Microbiome Mission, uh, which is a five-day kind of challenge where she's gonna take people through everything that they need to know. So if you miss the live, you can always go and you know get the recordings and watch it and learn, learn, yeah, exactly. learn, learn. Steph is an amazing resource to learn from. Um, I've learned so much. I really have learned a lot just in these two episodes. And I am encouraging you to really look differently at the gut, really look differently at the microbiome, look differently at what foods you recommend to people and really Focus on recommending foods. Don't just be that practitioner that somebody comes in, you run a couple of tests and you give them five bottles of supplements to take. Yeah, they may need the five bottles of supplements, don't get me wrong, but what they may not need is the ignorance about the diet. They need to know how these foods affect and when they understand how these foods affect not only their health, but the health, you know, the internal health, the areas within their body, their flora collections, then they're going to make an amazing set of decisions. So, And you get to choose. You get to give those people the inspiration. They're looking to you to get that. So when you understand all this and how it all fits together, you're going to have a fulfilling and thriving practice. Because at the end of the day, you you can go home and say, wow, Sally now feels good. Instead of, wow, I just had to up Sally's medication or have her take more supplements. You're actually going to see changes. And that, to me, is the best. So thank you, Thank you. Thank you so much for staff, to staff. And be sure to go and check the show notes and you can download her, her free gift and check out her community. It's an amazing community. And um, for the collection of food resources that I put together, reinventhealthcare.com forward slash food. And until next time, shine on. Thank you for listening to the Reinvent Healthcare podcast. Join the movement of practitioners that are guiding people to actually get well rather than covering up their symptoms. Connect with us at reinventhealthcare.com to access resources and tools that will empower you to create a thriving health practice.